Welcome guys to the official prototyping podcast where we basically talk about everything to do with prototyping. And so in this season, you will learn about different aspects of the methodology, hear from different prototyping practitioners, and even see us try to make our own, all in the spirit of validating your idea with your own data. I'm Jonathan Sun. And I'm Robert Scrub. This episode is sponsored by Exponentially. Supercharge your innovation process and get certified as a world-class prototyper with the official Learn Prototyping online course. Sign up using the code OG100 for $100 off. Learn from Exponentially's CEO and master prototyper, Leslie Berry, and develop your own prototype with personal feedback from Leslie. You will also gain access to the Exponentially app, an enterprise-level tool to help you keep track of your prototypes and join an exclusive Slack community of certified prototypers. Sign up today at www.exponentially.com slash learn dash prototyping comma and use the code OG100 for $100 off. Now, our next two guests are Sonia Borgava and Miles Nobles. They study at Rice University and have built a startup called Remora a peer-to-peer food delivery platform for Rice University students. They have also taken a prototyping course in college and definitely have a lot to, sh- to show for it. How are you guys doing today? Yeah, I'm doing good. Um, it's grateful to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. No worries, no worries. How was the snow earlier this week? Did you guys enjoy the, enjoy the snow? Did you guys make a lot of snowmen and make snowball fights or whatnot? Yeah, so I have uh, mixed feelings towards the snow. Um, on the first day, I went out to Herman Park, which is right near Rice, and just kind of played in the snow, took pictures. I've only seen snow like two or three times, uh, so it was nice. Um, but then it got cold really fast and annoying. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at right now. But I, I enjoyed it for a little bit. Yeah, it was nice to see as a Texan. That's that's pretty cool. But uh, also got vaccinated in the snow, so that was pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> And so, yeah, it was a crazy day. <laughs> you got, uh, when did you uh, get vaccinated? Was that a few days ago? Yeah, it was on Monday when Rice University literally had 800 doses to give out by 5 p.m. And so people ran. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's lit. Did you, uh, I'm, I'm probably going to get mine soon too. Did you get any, no, no side effects so far? No, I did have side effects. I had a, I had a high fever the next day, but then it just went away, so. That's good. <laughs> okay. Was that like a long high fever? Cause like I'm anticipating mine. So I'm trying to get myself like mentally prepared for like little symptoms and stuff. Yeah. I would, I would give yourself a day or so to recover. People were definitely groggy and fatigued. So, but very thankful to still get it. So. Okay. So I should probably, if I get the shot, I should probably plan on having an off day the next day. Yes. Yes. If you're, if your side effects were any like mine. <laughs> Or oh, there are yeah. some people that have gotten the shot where they just do the complete opposite and they feel absolutely fabulous and they're walking around like they're in front of a spotlight the entire time. It's yeah, very rare, but it does happen. That was actually me. Um, yeah, I got the Pfizer one. So I think me and Sonia and I got different shots. Uh, so we had different experiences. So, yeah, that was great. Yeah. There's the little freedom moment where like as soon as you get it, you know, you just rip off the mask. You just yell freedom and, you know, you just... <laughs> let's have a big party (laughs) yeah then you could just go around and troll people and cough on them be like oh just kidding i'm vaccinated (laughs) (laughs) oh my god that would be such a you that'd be like a a youtube videos of five million views or something well that and you're you're risking getting punched in the face so you gotta basically weigh your options all right opportunity cost Um, yeah, exactly. Much. You're thinking exactly like an entrepreneur would. Hmm, what is the risk reward of telling somebody I'm giving them COVID, but I'm not really giving them COVID? What's the high end risk? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> that would be really interesting. I mean, the cop, cops getting caught on you, even though you didn't do anything. Um, Let's start with um, kind of an introduction to both of who you are and what you're all about. And then we can kind of go from there. So Let's start with Miles. Miles, please tell us who you are, what you do, what you're all about, and we'll go from there. Yeah, of course. Um, so my name is Miles Nobles. Um, I'm currently I'm currently a sophomore at Rice University, and I study neuroscience 
with a minor in entrepreneurship. Um, and I've kind of I've kind of really been been into entrepreneurship since a young age. Uh, I like building things, not not necessarily with my hands, but I guess with my mind and just making them come to life. Um, and then I'm also really into neuroscience and kind of the computer science AI aspect of things. Um, so in the future, I want to become a neurosurgeon, and I just want to integrate uh, AI and uh, a lot of neuroengineering and those types of things um, into the into the neural system. And that's kind of what I hope to do in the future. And that's mostly about me. Very cool. And Sonia, what about yourself? Uh, and tell us a little bit about who you are and how you, how you came to know Miles. Yeah, so I'm Sonia Bargov, a sophomore at Rice as well. Um, I'm majoring in cognitive science and minoring in entrepreneurship as well. Really involved with the entrepreneurship scene here at Rice and really have come to grown to love it uh, since my freshman year. And uh, I got to know Miles from uh, being in an orientation group with him uh, the first week of college. And ever since then, like we became best friends and, you know, we both came into Rice very entrepreneurially minded and decided that we wanted to start a business together. We weren't sure what that business was going to be um, until we started to face some pain points ourselves. And that's how Remora came to be. What were some of the pain points that you were experiencing that led to the creation of Remora? Yeah, so Miles and I, uh, our freshman year of, of um, college, we would order food via, you know, DoorDash every, almost every weekend, just because we would get sick of the servery food, kind of wanted just a change, uh, you know, it'd been a hard week, so we wanted to treat ourselves. Um, rice is hard, so got to treat yourself. Um, and we basically faced a lot of experience, a lot of difficulties with delivery. Like our DoorDash driver would never know where to like drop off our food. We'd be like chasing them around campus. Like Rice has these gates that like close at midnight. So that makes it really difficult for the driver to come into campus if they don't know the right gates. Um, and so we basically were facing all these pain points with delivery and we thought that we could do it better. So that's how Remora came to be. Cool. So you now, how did you kind of go about testing this? And how can you kind of explain a bit how pre-typing worked into how you created or kind of worked out what Remora was going to be? Yeah. Um, so initially we had this pain point revolving around delivery and a food this food aspect kind of thing, but that was just kind of me and Sonya's assumption. We really had no validation behind that. Um, so what happened was in the summer, I think before this year, we kind of did extensive interviews with students from Rice, UT, A&M, a lot of different schools. And we kind of just got a broad overview of the biggest pain points that they face being a college student um, on campus or around campus. And this revolved around food delivery, stress, um, friendships, building relationships, there's just a lot of different things. So once we did those interviews, we were able to narrow down uh, some common food, some common um, pain points, and a lot of them revolved around food. Um, a lot of people take the food to relieve their stress from school. A lot of people take the food to build relationships with friends. Um, so this creates a lot of times when students are either going out to eat or getting food delivered to them on campus. Um, so with that, we kind of had validation on on what these pain points were, but we didn't really have a solution to it. So Sonia and I came up with an idea um, and pretty much what we did was we recruited about 30 students that lived in our specific college at Rice called McMurtry. Um, and then we had them enter into a group chat, just a simple iMessage text group chat. And whenever they would go out to eat or to a store or something like that, they would simply post where they were at um, in the group chat to the other students and the other students could order. Um, so that's kind of our low fidelity test. It took us about, I guess, almost no time to actually build the group chat since it's instant. Um, we just had to recruit the students. Um, so that was kind of our first experience with prototyping. So when you went through that first phase, what were some of the learnings you got from those interviews? What, what kind of steered you in a particular direction? Yeah, so um, it was really cool to see like how people were interacting in that group chat. Um, and how we gathered feedback by the end of it was we individually texted 
you know, every, all 30 people after the experiment or during the experiment, not after, during the experiment to see how they were kind of feeling about it. Um, and we noticed like exactly half of our 30 participants were actively participating in that kind of experiment and the other half weren't. And so we really like went into like, why weren't these 15 people not using the, the, the group chat? And a lot of the feedback that we got was that, you know, we didn't want to like post our orders publicly. The group chat was a little messy. I couldn't like scroll up and see like, you know, what the, the order or the, the place that the person was delivering from. And so there was just, there are some, that's where we saw there were some limits to our, you know, very simple prototype. Although we got some really great metrics and data from that, you know, group of 30 people, we knew that we needed to kind of, you know, take a step forward in our, our fidelity prototype. Okay. So where are you with Remora today and where are you planning on taking it in the future? Yeah. Uh, so currently with Remora, we're, We've launched like a pre-launch at Rice. Um, so we've been recruiting students or they've been signing up for our beta test, um, which will happen sometime in March, early March. And we have a app built um, for that test. So at this point, we're pretty much just getting all the kinks worked out, um, going through some legal stuff and all those different things before we launch officially at Rice. So that should be in early March. And pretty much what we hope to do is we hope to test at Rice over this next semester and gather a lot of good data points. And then um, from there, we wanna think about, about implementing at Rice fully and then testing at other, other colleges um, and expanding further into there, into hopefully every college nationwide. Yeah, so we're coming into this Rice-wide experiment with a couple of assumptions that we wanna test and make sure that are valid. Um, before moving forward. So if you were to turn back time and give yourself advice on what you would do differently when you first started this, what would you say to yourself? Um, I think we, I think we've done a lot of things pretty well. My only thing would be to, uh, I mean, it's not really feasible, but I guess if, if me and Sonia and I could have started earlier, <laughs> like right away, so to give us more time. Um, but other than that, I feel like we did spend a lot of time in the beginning on interviewing people but like at some point we're interviewing like 50 maybe like 50 people in a day or whatever it may be and then we just kind of knew their answers ahead of time so it became so predictable where like at that point we don't need to interview anymore because we already know the answers that this person is likely going to say so we can move on to the next step so maybe just being a little more um con concise and just a little more i guess fast paced with that that interview process and realizing we've already gathered the data so we can move on to the next step yeah I think, I think the interview thing is, is really something that took a, a lot of time for us, but at the end of that, we, we kind of knew what the pain points were. Um, and another thing was just making sure that we're as data-driven as possible. We, had, we created a landing page um, and for people to sign up for our beta test, and we really just wanted to, uh, you know, we, didn't, we wanted to track how many people were clicking on things and things like that. And so um, making sure that we have that in the future, I think making, making sure you have all that data in place um, can really help your venture, I think. So for other entrepreneurs at Rice University that want to try out what you've done, are, is there an existing community there at Rice that people can tap into? Are there particular networks that they should check out? What would be your recommendations? Yeah, there's there's a bunch of things at Rice. So uh, Rice, the main entrepreneurship hub at Rice is Lily, which is the Lou Idea Lab for Innovation and Entrepreneurship. They not only have a bunch of classes, like we took basically uh, a class called New Venture Challenge, where we learned all about prototyping and were graded essentially on our prototyping test. Um, but there's also a bunch of programs, uh, especially for women in entrepreneurship. Um, there's clubs here at Rice, like there's Rice Ventures. Um, the faculty are really willing to like help your venture outside of class or like even if you're not taking class with them, they're willing to sit with you on a one-on-one -on -one basis. So Rice has really helped us. I mean, we couldn't have done it without Lily, to be quite honest, so. What about you, Miles? Is he, do you also uh, have the same recommendations that Sonia does? Yeah, 
Yeah, so I'm heavily involved with Lily. Uh, there's also another club, I guess that's relatively new, like Rice, it's called Rice Ventures. Um, so they kind of take in, you can send an application to them and they take in certain ventures per year. Uh, then they pair you up with um, pretty nice mentors who are really supposed to excel your venture. Um, so that's something that I would recommend. Um, yeah, and the biggest thing is just to stay, to stay, stay focused and just try to, I think mentors are the biggest thing that you should look for when starting a venture. I think it's very important. I agree with that sentiment. And the other question I have is related to credotyping. Uh, since you've had that that course and kind of experienced it, what would you recommend about the process that people should try and what you would, if you had a magic wand, what would one thing you would change or add to that process? Yeah, uh, so the first thing I guess I would recommend is to actually to actually do pre-dotyping because I think initially I wasn't, too drawn to it because um, I felt like what's the point I can just start my actual venture right now but I would recommend doing that because um, it allows you to fail fast uh, like Sonia always likes to say um, so that just gives you some room to fail and kind of iterate like I don't really view it as failure but more so a chance to iterate and improve in the future and then there also are a lot of things revolving around prototyping that I don't necessarily believe are as useful uh, so my idea would just be to cut out all the fluff and just to simply test with an experiment right away, gather data, iterate, and then um, make design changes based on that. So what would be the fluff that you would cut out if I could dig into that a little bit? Yeah, <laughs> uh, I always mentioning it, so I feel like people might think I have a, a disdain for interviews, but <laughs> it, would be, <laughs> it would be the 50 to 100 interviews you're told to do beforehand. Um, I would instead just, maybe do a couple and uh, then just go right into the testing and just, I mean, if it, if it fails, it fails, but I think interviews, they don't really give you a clear picture. So an idea might be great and you did interviews, but a person might not necessarily have those exact pain points, but if you can test it, like people act different from what they say than what they actually do. So I think just testing it and figuring out what they interact with is a much better and faster way to execute on your potential venture ideas. I would, I would agree with that sentiment. Um, I think also another important prototyping like aspect is being able to set numbers for yourself. So, you know, that X, Y, Z hypothesis, making sure you have a benchmark for yourself. So you're not like, oh, like this many signups, that seems like good enough. But like, you need to have that predetermined, like we need 20% of these people who are gonna sign up um, or 20% of these people are gonna do this based on some sort of logic. Um, and that really helps in terms of gauging like what you want after the, the prototype is done. Um, so yeah, setting those numbers beforehand is so important. You could also consider the percent threshold for your own uh, acceptance of whether or not what you're venturing out to do makes sense exactly. to do. If you're only getting five to 10% and your aspirations are more to 20 to 25, you're going to have to do a compromise. Do you continue with it, augment it, modify it, or do you just press forward saying that yeah. maybe the timing wasn't right, or you just didn't market to the right audience? And eventually it's always that question of whether or not you're going down the right path, or you just haven't gone far enough. That's always yeah. the tricky thing. So one other question for you, uh, what would you say going forward is going to be one your, your challenges as, as kind of a student founder or an entrepreneur. Uh, we're in 2021, so we're in the middle of a pandemic. We're eventually getting our way out of it. But from your standpoint, uh, going to Rice and being in entrepreneurship, what do you see are some like near-term, like in the, within the year challenges that entrepreneurs would face, especially with your own startup, with, with where you want to go? Um, where do you see some headwinds in the entrepreneurial space? Yeah, I mean, uh, like, Pandemic aside, like being a student founder, especially at a very like uh, rigorous university like Rice is challenging because not only are you balancing schoolwork, but you're also trying to balance this, your baby at the same time. Um, but I think in terms of like being in a pandemic situation where you're not able to like meet people face to face, um, you know, Miles and I meet every day, but like over Zoom. Uh, and so it can be, uh, especially since you're bound, this is not something you're doing for like credit or anything. It can be hard to like get 
be motivated, especially when you're not meeting in that collaborative space with like a bunch of students who are doing great things. You know, that's that's really something that I've seen um, happen at universities right now, where it's like motivation has gone down because you're just sitting in your room on a laptop, you know, trying to collaborate and things like that. Yeah, I would definitely agree. I think the biggest thing is motivation. Um, I think with the with the pandemic and everything going on, I think there is a lot of opportunity in the future because um, a lot of things have shifted in the way in human behavior. Um, so that leaves a lot of opportunity for bench, for new ventures to come in long and improve some aspect or or whatever that might be. So I think there's a lot of opportunity for young entrepreneurs that want to get into the space. I think just staying motivated when you have so much to think about aside from pursuing a venture, and then also. Um, it's been tough for a lot of businesses. So a lot of businesses, especially small businesses have closed down. So just, just learning to adapt um, and figure out a way to, to stay alive, um, to see the end and to hopefully see your venture be successful, I think is important. Very nice. And what are your thoughts on all of this, Jonathan? I'd like to hear from you. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting, you know, some of the things that y'all two uh, both mentioned, I mean, First off, actually, you know, um, I kind of agree with uh, your sentiment, Miles, about like, you know, how sometimes like interviews can be kind of overrated a little bit. Um, I do think because sometimes like, you know, when you do like a lot of verbal interviews with people, like sometimes people don't always know what they want. Like they would say something in an interview and then like, you know, go out and perform a completely different way. Like it's like, imagine if you were trying to explain like clubhouse verbally, and then you would try to like work backwards and attempt to do like user research on like asking people, would you want something like clubhouse? So how would you feel if you wanted, if, 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 uh, if there was a social media app, but you could only talk, you couldn't see the other person. And by the way, there were no, you know, written messages. You couldn't message anybody, right? Like people would look at you, like if you were nuts, like what kind of social media app is this? Like, why wouldn't I just use Zoom on like my, 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 my phone, right? And then yet, you know, Clubhouse is like crazy popping, right? So I think like, I do love your sentiment on the idea of, you know, like just jumping straight to the prototype and just like running experiments and, you know, worst comes to worst, you hit the ceiling and, you know, you just try something else, right? Um, and the second part I think you guys mentioned is about, you know, being a student founder, especially during the pandemic. You know, I was lucky enough, you know, that by the time the pandemic hit, I was like almost done with school. So like the big chunk of like, you know, my college time was like actually not during a pandemic, which kind of helped me a little bit as a former student founder because uh, of being able to like, you know, network and meet a lot of people in person and things like that. You know, um, if the networking event was useless, at least, you know, enjoying free cookies and things like that. Right. I mean, the cookies are a plus. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I do, but I think um, one suggestion I would uh, take away from it, and you probably guys, you guys are probably already doing it. I think something to take advantage of though, is like a lot of like real, real, like people that are generally really, really busy in the past now have a little bit more free time because they're not commuting everywhere. So it's like, I think one of the, one of, one of the advantages I think that, um, that all of us can take during the pandemic is like being able to take advantage of the fact that like a lot of the people that are like really, really high up have a little bit more free time than they used to on their calendars because they're on their bums in front of their laptop. So, um, so I guess, you know, if there's like, you know, any important people, whether they may be in like venture or like things like that, you know, now I think is like a really, really good time to, you know, con to, to connect with them, you know, while they still got um, free time on their hands and, you know, they're not out commuting as much. So that's probably the biggest stuff I can think, think of over here. I have a networking hat for the both of you that may help. So I just thought of this because I've been doing it like crazy the past couple months. Since everyone is locked in, cannot see each other face to face, and it's frustrating for a lot of people that need that kind of human to human interaction. The alternative to meeting people is places like LinkedIn and Slack and other places where you can easily meet people in the professional sense, especially if they have an affinity for you. One of the things I do is I am a member of like many, 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 many Slack channels. That's just because of my propensity to communicate and to network. But what I do is I keep an eye out for the hashtag, hashtag, what? Hashtag uh, introductions on each of those. And I, I look for people that post there and say, hey, my name is so-and-so and I do this. Here's what I'm all about. Here's a picture of my dog. Here's me skiing, whatever they put in there. 
Usually if they're in Slack, there's a LinkedIn profile that corresponds to that and I search for it. Then I basically ask for a connection request. And I literally have in a Word document, something that's just a script that says, hey, I saw, I saw you post an introduction in blank Slack channel and I'd like to connect with you on LinkedIn, talk to you later. Get in the habit of doing that enough. You'll be able to uh, add people to your network that have affinity with what you do. So entrepreneurialism, maybe food delivery, whatever the case may be, there's usually a watering hole or a community where these, where these folks hang out. So it's nothing where you're intending to sell to them or to upsell them in any way. You're just wanting the connection because on LinkedIn in particular, when you add them there, they automatically follow you. They don't, it's not something that they, that that's done where they say, oh, now you've added me. Now I have to do an extra click and follow you. LinkedIn automatically rigs it so that when you, they add, you add, you add them to your network, they are going to follow whatever you post. So if you get in this habit of adding people in all of these different communities, when they introduce themselves, because they've given you their information, um, that's a golden opportunity for you to in mass just basically add them with the same script. Some will, some will bring you to the network, some will not. But the point is, is that over time, you'll start to gather a lot of followers, especially on LinkedIn and other places, where they'll start to see your content. They'll see what you're up to. They'll see your status in a professional entrepreneurial mindset. Same thing with Clubhouse we just mentioned. People post their names, what they do. And especially if you get into a room where it's, it's something where you have an interest, be it neuro, neuroscience or wherever it may be, find their LinkedIn profile and send them a connection request based on that. I've seen you in Clubhouse. I wanted you to connect you on LinkedIn. And it's something that, especially for new graduates, is critical because if you want people to know who you are and what you're all about, if you're looking for a new job, if you're looking for opportunity, if you're looking for your tribe, if you do that homework every day or, or every week, whatever your, your kind of tenant, your meter is, it's really going to pay dividends in the long run. And I've been doing it for two years now. And it's, I, I, people promote my stuff with, uh, with my own company that I've never heard of before. I've, I would never have met them in real life, but it was because of those, of those relationships that I started out earlier on that have really helped me kind of spread the word about what I do. So that would be my, I don't know if you call it a tip or a recommendation, but in the context of prototyping and the context of getting your name out as entrepreneurs, that's like a foundational habit that you should kind of do, especially if you're not really a networking type. Amen. Amen. But let's kind of take it back a little bit to um, when y'all first heard about prototyping. Like what was, what was y'all's like first reaction when y'all first heard about it? Uh, yeah, I guess I could. So like, I actually first heard about it right when I got to Rice. Um, so I had another idea before this um, for like some type of like wireless charger thing for like your phone or whatever um, that was like integrated with a pop socket. So that was my first idea. Um, but so I, I, I went to like Lily and they told me about prototyping. So I read a book. And I was like pretty annoyed initially because I was like, man, this is going to take forever. I'm going to have to do interviews. I'm going to have to test multiple times. And I was like, this seems like I just want to build the product, right? Um, so I went through a process for a while and I thought about the idea. I did the prototyping. And then it became clear to me like that, that that product wasn't necessarily like ready for market or like it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily needed, right? There was no, nobody really needed that product, even though I thought it was cool. And a lot of my friends thought it was cool. So like, you know, people are hyping you up but yeah my first uh reaction was I guess was discussed until I got to the point where like man if I actually built this product I would have just failed horribly most likely uh so the prototyping process helped me realize that and then it just made me better in this venture with Sonia for Mora. yeah I think my first exposure was also I think my freshman year or like maybe last semester um where we read the right it by alberto um in our class uh and for me i like always thought that like businesses just like have an idea and then they just create it and that's it like and so for me it was kind of eye-opening i was like oh i have no idea that like people actually like make these low fidelity tests like and their whole purpose is like let's see how fast we can fail 
like that was like a weird mindset for me to think about as you know somebody who's very like and I think Miles could like very detail oriented very like want to make sure that everything's in line like that was just such a mindset change for me um but going through the whole process I think it really helped um you know valid validated was it validate our idea sorry <laughs> yeah no that's crazy I mean because um see when I first came across prototyping uh this was actually before the right it was written so this was so this was uh did y'all ever get a chance to read like Alberta's little like uh, the the pdf so it's called prototype it y'all ever get a chance to read that I think yeah so. I read that yeah yeah so I remember I think when um I think it was on the, I was in year two building out my startup. I already built out 1.0 and I think I stumbled on it because I think I was, uh, I kind of was on this, uh, sort of, you know, when you get lost on Google and you click on a mm -hmm. bunch of stuff and then you just start clicking and clicking and clicking to end up on like some good, sometimes good stuff and sometimes not so good stuff. Um, so this time I was on a Google, uh, I was on a Google binge and I ended up on like, uh, and I ended up on the page prototype and I was like, Oh, cool. What is this? You know, is this a misspelled prototype thing? And I go, I go through it and like, um, I read it, um, while I was like, um, I forgot I was waiting for some, I was, I was waiting for, oh yeah, I was picking up my dad at the airport and I, and I read, and I went through the whole book, I think in like two hours. And then afterwards I was just like, yo, I can't believe I didn't find out about, find out about this earlier, you know? Um, so yeah, that was my, that was, that was my story of how, how I, how I picked it up. Um, so, but, uh, yeah, so um, how did y'all meet Alberto? Because I know Alberto was the one that introduced me to y'all, actually. Like, how did y'all meet him? And like, what do y'all think of him as a person? So our professor, uh, Hassam Panahi, Dr. Hassam Panahi, he like, he reached out to, he, he's like been super like fundamental in our whole kind of remora process. He's the one who taught us about prototyping. And he was like, hey, like, Alberto is looking to like look for some students uh, who've gone through the prototyping process to be on a podcast, uh, which is the prototyping podcast. Uh, and we're like, okay. Um, and so we we went to Alberto's office hours <laughs> at Stanford, <laughs> um, and through that we we talked to him about Ramora, asked him some questions about prototyping. He gave us some advice. Um, and he's just so cool and so like able to gauge, you know, students where students are at and this, the mindset of a student, uh, obviously, as a as a lecturer at Stanford, he's really good at that. But um, yeah, it was a really great experience to learn from him and get his advice on Ramora. So, yeah, yeah, it was almost unbelievable because it's like you're reading about him in class, you have these these books, but when you actually get to talk to the person and see that they're like a real person, um, it's uh, it, it's a good moment, so it's nice. That's crazy. How'd y'all get access to his, uh, I didn't even know he had office hours, TVH. Like, how'd y'all get access, was, are they like virtual or like RO? Yeah, yeah they're, they're virtual. Uh, so we got access, yeah, Hassam just <laughs> oh. connected to us and he just invited us um, to them, so. Y'all gotta hit me up with that plug. I gotta, I, 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 want, I, I got, I gotta hit up his office hours at some point, man. I gotta say hello to my man. You know what I'm saying, my man's. Oh, bro, that's crazy. Um, so I'll probably have a couple more questions. Uh, one sort of related to prototyping, and one not related to prototyping. So, um, so obviously, I try to do a little bit of research. I think uh, into y'all uh, uh, before, like I, I interview you guys. I mean, just to, just to like I uh, get to know y'all a little bit. Um, superficially okay like I, I don't go i don't go i don't go that deep but um yeah i'm not that type of guy so um so sonia i know you've been this so um i've i've seen you've been doing a couple of uh, a little bit of work uh on the side with uh with ocean activism um which is interesting to me right um yeah when i go to when i go when i go to the beach and i know i see plastic bags i'm like y'all gotta y'all gotta chill out with those plastic bags at the beach like what are y'all trying to do yeah. like do a bot do a do like a body a body thing on your on your head but yeah. Tell me, tell me about a little um, briefly about just like some of the things you've been doing with like ocean activism and like um, and like kind of like why you've become really, really passionate about it. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So um, I consider myself an environmental activist and have been so since the beginning of my high school years. 
Um, I actually lived overseas in Asia for 10 years of my childhood. So I lived in Shanghai and then in Singapore and I got to travel a lot and saw that, you know, my family lives in India and, you know, seeing plastic pollution being such like a prominent problem and like people living in their own plastic waste was really like something that stuck with me as a kid. Um, and so I started uh, Impact Gravitas in high school, which is an organization focused on increasing awareness and developing solutions for plastic pollution. Um, and so I did a lot of community work in high school um, and trying to bring that here at Rice as well, um, but have done a lot of community work as well as uh, I'm on the UN Ocean Decade Youth Advisory Council uh, now for that. And so it's been really cool to be a part of that kind of movement and, you know, for plastic pollution. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's, that's really important. I mean, um, I mean, hey, as, as, uh, once you figure out how to want to do something about uh, Galveston Beach, I mean, if you've been down to Galveston yeah. Beach, I mean, one, oh of, one of them is, dude, Galveston Beach is nasty. Y'all ever nasty. seen that? Like, yeah. I, went, I, I went to Galveston Beach. I think the last time I went there was like my third year of high school. And like, I just remember just sitting there counting how much, like how many, I remember sitting there counting like plastic bottles and like jellyfish. Yeah. Like there was just like this beach, like swamped with like dead jellyfish. And I was like, yeah. yo, something must have happened. So sad. It really is crazy um, people still want do you still want to like promote houston as being the best city <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness i mean it kind of depends i mean for myself i mean i i like cities that are like a little bit more dense and packed together i mean hence why i live in london right now but uh i mean houston has some merits i mean you can get you can get a five bed for like two 200k i mean that's rare. <laughs> five bed for 200k right um but so, uh, Miles, I'll ask you this question first. Um, are you are you currently are, and you can either answer like are you or like how would you right? So, um, how would you prototype a, a new life habit of yours? A new life habit. Um, I guess I can kind of speak to that because I kind of currently am. Um, so I've always been into like fitness and working out since I was younger, but it was kind of hard coming to college. Uh, so I kind of got off of it. Uh, we had classes and work. Um, so it made it difficult to, to do that consistently. Uh, so what I started trying to do, at least with my roommate um, and some other friends is we work out in the morning at 6.30. Um, but that's a bit, that's a bit of a jump uh, from waking up at like nine or 10. Uh, so kind of how I tested it, I guess prototyped it, is before we actually started working out, we kind of made like a week for us to get adjusted. Uh, so what, what I did in this week was I would just wake up, kind of try around that time, but I didn't go work out. I just kind of got up and walked around and just kind of tried to get my body used to it. And then slowly I got up and like made breakfast at that time, just like diff did different things so my body could become accustomed to waking up at that time. Um, and just eating right before we even started working out, where when that day came and we had to work out, I was, it was still tough, but I was uh, slightly better for it uh, since I kind of had prototyped my, uh, my way into getting used to it. Yeah. How about you, Sonia? I was about to say something very similar, which for me, working out was like, a dreadful thing like I <laughs> like it hurts I'm not about it I cannot run for you know I can't I just can't do it but I was like you know like I really need to make sure that I'm staying healthy especially with quarantine and like sitting in a room all day my dorm room here um and so you know for me prototyping my workout was like okay seeing like how much I can do in my suite here, how much do I need to go to the rec center here at Rice and really testing like what worked for me and what didn't. Like if I couldn't do it, like I couldn't do it. That was a fail, but like at least I tried it in moving on to the next thing. So I guess very similar vein to Miles, fitness is something that I've been also trying to prototype my way through. I feel that. Miles, your story kind of like reminds me a little bit about like, um, so have you ever seen, um, have you ever seen like this, uh, this, this Instagram meme of uh, Mark Wahlberg's, uh, Mark Wahlberg's schedule? 
Yeah, I have actually. <laughs> so, um, so it reminds me a lot of like the um, I don't know, Sonia, you've watched the video. So I think there was this Buzzfeed, the the Buzzfeed reporter on like when he tried to follow Mark Wahlberg's schedule for like one day. So he wakes up, at <laughs> and you remember, and you remember how ridiculous it was, right? It's like he does. I believe it was. It was like he five, works out twice a day. <laughs> he works out twice a day. He has like five. He eats like five snacks during the day. He wakes. He wakes up at two thirty a.m. and goes to sleep at. I forgot the other time. And then like he's just like Oda, and then he and he starts off with like morning morning prayer. I remember just like the those first scenes, and I'm like, uh, and I already could tell this guy did not predetype this his, his, his schedule at all. He was just like, I'm waking up at two thirty because Mark Wahlberg wakes up at two thirty. I'm like, dude, your day is gonna suck already. Like, let's be honest, you're gonna have a horrible day. You're gonna be like sleeping in like thirteen hours until the next day or something. Exactly. Predetype um, it. Predetype it always. Um, Rob, have you been predetyping a new life habit lately? Well, actually, we did a meat butter uh, butter mixer this morning around how you can mix prototyping with other methods. <clears throat> and we did one for professional goals. So we did something where you would list out your professional goals. People would put little icons next to the ones that they had an affinity with. You did a second part where you did some, um, I think it was some challenges or some long-term kind of affinity, something that you wanted to aspire to be and kind of match that, pair those with your goals. From there, you created a market engagement hypothesis around your goals and how you would get those done, then went into a hybrid of XYZ called WXYZ, where the W is the where and the when, and had people walk through that exercise. And at the end, what you did is, is you created uh, the goal and then a steps that you would need to do to get it done, and then a deadline that you set for yourself. So a realistic one, obviously, because if you're trying to work out more, lose weight, you're not gonna say in two weeks time because unless you're starving yourself and running around the campus like three or four times a day, it's not gonna happen. Yeah. So we had everyone walk through that exercise to get an idea of how they would go about taking prototyping and using it for personal and professional use. Mm. So what was like an example of like somebody's professional goal, if you don't mind sharing? One of them I recall was being their aspirational goal was to be a better coach, a better professional coach or life coach. And one of the goals they wanted to do was to do more education around, um, I think it was strengths finder and core clarity, like using those tools to basically assess what, where people are and what they emphasize in terms of like how they approach things. But in order for them to do that, they had to kind of take time out to uh, attend a course and go through the motions to practice, like learning how different combinations would work. So their XYZ was um, they'll spend $400 on a coaching, on two coaching sessions with uh, an existing strengths finder coach to basically improve their own understanding of the process. But it was something that they gave themselves to the end of the month to do, but that was their skin in the game is actually putting a monetary kind of compensation or a monetary um, commitment to getting that thing done. Yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> That's pretty solid. That's pretty solid. Mm -hmm. Or he could, uh, or you could, or he could have done what I did, which is like, I remember, um, I remember I befriended a, a career coach a while back and like he usually charged like one to $200 an hour, but instead I just kind of like sweet talked him and like I took him out to dinner and then afterwards, like the whole session was free. <laughs> so he could also yeah. try to do that. <laughs> just buy them dinner and sweet talk them enough. Um, well, there's always the friend. There's always the friends and family uh, amount, and then there's the I don't know you amount that usually connotates a little bit higher up because you have to kind of pay for the privilege or pay for the, the um, kind of like the engagement that you're going to have with this individual. But most of the time, if you're spending that amount of money, you really know what you want, or you you have an idea that this is, this is the person that definitely is going to going to help you with what you, you do. So again, it's like prototyping. There's the 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 assumption around what's going to happen versus what actually does happen when you go through the process and you have a whole different set of uh, things that you're thinking about. But yeah, yeah, it really does come down to finding the right person for what you need. Exactly, exactly. Or there's like a third rate that like I've, uh, that, that, that I've discovered, which is like, I could tell that you're loaded. So I'm going to jack up the price like even higher. <laughs> so well, uh, I, would, I would say I would argue that people that are loaded are just as price conscious as the ones that are not. They don't necessarily but they 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 know they have a, a, I would say they have more liquid capital to spend it on something they know is going to fix the problem immediately. So they can spend more time 
and focus and attention doing what they want. So that, that would be the only, that, that, that in my experience, that's what it is. Now, I'm not saying I'm part of that group. I'm saying that I just know people that kind of operate in that capacity. They're, the, the adherence to time is extreme. So that brings me to a question for Sonia and Miles. Since okay. your time at Rice is going to be limited to a certain amount of time while you're doing your studies there, and then are you planning uh, on continuing this collaboration you have with both of you and uh, just seeing where it goes? Do you have ideas for other products that you want to try besides the one you're doing now? What, what's been kind of going on in the conversations between the two of you? Yeah, uh, we haven't explicitly talked about so far ahead um, right now, uh, just because we're kind of focused on executing, I guess, in the present. Um, but I guess that'll be a di discussion that we'll have eventually. And I guess a lot of that really just depends on the traction early on and different things. Um, and I know we both, we both are passionate about this and we both have um, other ventures that we're also looking to pursue, like I would classify myself eventually as a serial entrepreneur, hopefully. Um, so yeah, if we can, if I can continue after college, I would be happy to, um, but we're just kind of just seeing where everything goes. Um, just focus on execution of today. Yeah. yeah, I think right now it, I don't know what Remora is gonna look like in three years. So once, once we get there, I think it's gonna be really interesting to see um yeah where it goes you can read brand it and just call it nom nom that's a good interesting question why remora why why the name remora where does that come from yeah so we we were thinking about names for quite a bit of time and I, what i was thinking was like you know what you learn about biology that mutualistic relationship between animals you know that like you know um you know, an ant benefits a plant and the plant gives the ant a home, that mutualistic relationship. And I told Miles, like, this is kind of what our app is. Like, it's a very like, you help me, I help you kind of situation. And so then we started Googling like mutualistic animals and uh, the remora fish came up as a mutualistic animal. They're the the fish that like sticks onto the, the shark and like cleans the shark and the shark provides it a home. So we thought Remora was a great name to go with um, for, for our venture. Interesting. Exactly. So if you were to pitch Remora to someone in terms of like your 60 second pitch, what does that sound like? <laughs> yeah, that's um, a good one. <laughs> Do you wanna? <laughs> I guess I, I, guess that's I could subtle, on that, on That's really subtle, yes, yeah. <laughs> I agree, that's a good question there. Yeah, yeah I, uh, I, I am a v, I am a VC scout on the side, so I'm here. <laughs> yeah, because I you could, know in uh, Clubhouse, if you're into if you're into that app or you know people that are on it, they have sub channels where people actually practice their pitches. It's the only reason why I bring that up is that there's there's people that are actually practicing. Like I own a, a luxury company and so on, but not that I'm asking both of you to do. It. I'm just saying if you could in 60 seconds tell somebody who's never met you before, says. Like, so tell me about a bit about your startup and you go, why? Yeah. It's Remora. It's about a fish that feeds off of sharks. But <laughs> what we do is. Yeah, uh, I guess I, I could start try to take a crack at it take real quick. I don't know. I got a timer. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so Remora is a peer-to-peer -peer delivery service for college students. Um, yeah. Okay, I'll wait. <laughs> All right. Remora is a peer-to-peer -peer delivery service for college students. Um, what makes it different um, and compares to all the competitors in the market is that Remora prioritizes the deliverer. So, so the deliverer gets to choose when and where they wanna order and drop off to. And the real focus of Remora is connecting communities. So we connect those who are out to those who are not. So that allows everybody to have accessibility. Uh, currently we're delivering food, um, but our ideas can expand elsewhere. Um, but we just are focused on building a community, a community service that really prioritizes the people in it. Uh, so a big portion of Ramona, Ramora is kind of exclusivity um, in a way that we limit the people on your kind of community to your people at your college, just to promote safety and trust that otherwise might not be there. Uh, so in essence, Ramora is less of a delivery service and more of a service that provides community for all. Well done. Good job. <laughs> that, was, that was two minutes. 
Actually, I started on one. So this is a 60, 60 minute timer. I, I just did it for the visuals. For those of you who are listening to the podcast later on, they don't really know that I put a timer in front of my monitor. But uh, Sonny, do you want to take the challenge as well and try to do this in a minute? Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> okay, I'll give you I'll give you 10 seconds to think about it. I don't think I can flip my screen. I wish I could because I know the numbers are coming in backwards probably. Um, yeah, that's okay. You can okay. just read backwards time. So on your mark, get set. Tell me, what, what's uh, this Remora thing all about, Sonia? Yeah, so Remora is a peer-to-peer -peer delivery service allowing college students to deliver to other, other college students. We started this app because as students at Rice University, we really realized that it's really difficult to get food and groceries delivered to campus, especially with delivery drivers not knowing our campus. And so we thought, hey, why don't we connect students who are out getting food and groceries to students who are on campus and don't necessarily have the time to do so. So Remora is a platform that connects the students who are out with the students who are back at campus. And so, our deliverers basically post as to when they are going out to the store or to a restaurant and they get to receive orders and bring those orders back and get a fee for however many orders they bring back to campus. Our main focus is to promote inclusivity, uh, safety and trustworthiness in our communities. Uh, hey, <laughs> there you go. That's... A little different than Miles, but you know. But what you can do is when you get the recording later, you can use your voiceovers for your eventual commercial, like Apple, you know, when, when yeah. eventually you put in promotions and marketing, you can just basically use that. Just clip it and do what you want to. Yeah. I'm looking, That'd be funny. I'm looking for 250,000 for 5% of the company. <laughs> the two year commitment, uh, no, that with a no, a no lease clause and all the other bindings that go into kind of what VCs do. Yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, I think I probably don't have any more questions. So uh, do you want to read the closing line? Uh, yeah. Um, before we do that, let me get up there. Uh, so uh, I would do want to say, Sonia and Miles, thank you for taking the time to speak to both of us about what you're doing with Remora. And I wish you all the best of luck with your, your startup and with getting this thing off the ground. I'll be sure I'm going to see you in Fortune Magazine at some point in the future with whatever you're doing there at Rice University. But I do want to thank you both for taking the time to speak to us. Yes, thank, thank you, you so much. I, we really enjoyed ourselves. Yeah, thanks for having if you us. Want, no, no problem. If you want to hear more of our podcast, subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Spotify. And if you like, you can share with your friends. And remember the, the, the phrase, or I would just say, let me take that back. Uh, and remember, you always want to consider, I can't do that. Jonathan, you got to read that line because for me, I, it, it feels weird if, you, if I say it. The fail Ferrari fast and McDonald's cheap because it's not what I usually say. <laughs> Remember, guys, fail Ferrari fast, McDonald's cheap. <laughs> 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 <laughs>